blind man. It's down to the left side. We will survive. And it's down to the wilderness. Swimming through the waters of Babylon like a rebel fish. Jogalist, specialist, predator and survivalist. Spitting heaven, fire from his lips. Burn the slave driver. to time for an awakening on Black Talk Radio Network New Media for the new millennia this is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective we find this program necessary because Hosea 4 6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge but we as a people will turn this around Proverbs 4 7 states wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, thought that getting get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to get involved in the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live audio, <clears throat> excuse me, at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage and catch the live stream. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live audio playing there. You can go to abitumi.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening. They stream from Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn Radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn Radio is a free radio app. In that tune-in search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening. There you'll see the icon, and you can stream the program live, even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening radio program. With the live stream on the TuneIn app, drop us an email at timeforanawakening.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening Radio Program. There you'll always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening Radio Program. With the fan page on Facebook and Time for an Awakening Media is also there. Always for the latest podcast of the various programs on Time for an Awakening, interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also, check out that time for an awakening marketplace and our partnership with the BB Toomey. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. TimeForAnAwakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.08 here on this Sunday, February the 4th edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation, Professor of Communications and Africana Studies at Morgan State University, Professor Jared Ball, is with us this evening. The discussion will center around the book, The Myth and Propaganda of Black Buying Power and how the claims of buying power and the impact of this myth 
has been on the understanding of media, race, class, and economics in the United States. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, 
where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia, 7th and Art Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Oh, man. I'm, I'm like... You know, I guess I, I must say, yes, yeah, I'm excited. Um, you know, I, I listened to Dr. Dr. Ball and, and his team on, on BPM, um, Black Power Media, all the time and, and, and really become, you know, get a lot of information there. But to, now to be engaging, now I know this is not the first time we, we've been in conversation with Dr. Ball, but it was the first time from the time before I got to read his book. And I'm glad I got to the second edition because now it has some other pieces in there. So I said all that to say, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> uh, Richard, uh, you know, we talk about uh, subjects related to this all the time on Time for an Awakening. Uh, and we had Dr. Ball on, who might have been a couple of years ago now, when he was talking about the use of propaganda um, on uh, population, especially on our population. Uh, but uh, I'm glad to have him on now to kind of take another deep dive into this subject. But before I introduce uh, Dr. Ball, let me read two definitions that will come into play as we conversate this evening. Uh, I hope in conversation. Uh, capitalism. And I'm going to just read a couple of definitions in reference to both of these words that I'm going to mention. Capitalism is often thought of as an economic system in which private actors own and control property in accordance with their interests and demand and supply freely set prices in the market in a way that can serve the best interests of society. Colonize is defined as control by one power over a dependent area or people. It occurs when one nation subjugates another, conquering its population and exploiting it, often while forcing its own language, religion, economics, and cultural values on the people. I think both of those two definitions might come into play in conversation tonight. We'll find out after we hear from our guests. Professor of Communications and Africana Studies at Morgan State University and author of the book, the second edition, The Myth and Propaganda of Black Buying Power, Professor Jared A. Ball is with us. Professor Ball, how are you, sir? I'm well. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be back with you all. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Glad to have you back on the top of Awakening with myself and Brother Richard. Yes, yes. Professor Ball, no. listen, the last time you were on, we talked about the use of propaganda. I see that in the second edition 
of uh, the myth of black buying power, you add propaganda in with the conversation. Before we kind of dovetail into different aspects of the book, uh, lay out the core premise or the core thesis of what you're saying in the second edition. Well, sure. The second edition is really uh, uh, what I would argue is just with a few additions here and there, including the forward by uh, Derek Hamilton. It's uh, just a, a tightening and a reorganizing and the inclusion of a couple of updated key elements uh, to the process I'm describing. Uh, and But propaganda has always been there. Uh, it's always been part of the argument. In fact, my argument from the beginning has always been that that that, that uh, my focus in, on Africana studies and media studies, propaganda in particular, uh, the the argument is is more of that than it is anything traditionally economics. In in, in in essence, the what I've done is taken what is popularly discussed, particularly in black targeted media, and what is supposed to be economics discussion, and compare it with research and reports from. Uh, the economic data producing community as it relates to black people and show where some of the differences, where the, where some of the conflations are. And then I've tried to explain why in the sense in, in, in through the example of black buying power, this is taking place. And one of the core elements of that is the media environment that was constructed primarily after the second world war, which is meant specifically to be one of propaganda and psychological warfare and one specifically targeting African people here, black people in the United States, with a, 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 a particular weaponized form of that process. Uh, but so, so all of that said, the short of it is buying power has been taken from something originally meant to help the ruling elite manage the population uh, and turned after the Second World War in particular into something that has been misrepresented as actual economic strength and power uh, that the black community has when, in fact, it's really marketing and uh, uh, advertising data and concepts being used to help them target their ad revenue spending uh, in, in commercial media spaces. So it's, it's buying power is not a, an actual measure of economic the economic condition it's not a measurement of income or wealth it's uh, an advertising and marketing phrase that has been misrepresented as actual economic strength for the black community and i'm arguing and i think i've shown quite well that it's been done intentionally as part of a broader and i'm glad you started with those definitions a broader assault on black people uh waged under the guise of what's called black capitalism uh, and buying power is just one small subset of of that construct. All of this is being done to make sure that black people do not think about radical concepts, histories, approaches to any of this, to organizing, to social movement building. All of it has been done with quite by design and intent to make sure that black people continue to follow this mythology of uh, the promise of capital and capitalism. And uh, uh, it's unfortunately been working well, but uh, uh, is, is, uh, it, as, and it must because the intent to end oppression and exploitation is not there. Uh, so they understand that 
rather than redistribute wealth and that we all help create now, as Dietrich Muhammad was pointing me to a couple of weeks ago, somewhere between 150 and 190 trillion dollars in personal wealth each year, we're supposed to uh, focus on some mythological trillion in buying power for redistribution among a community that has no real economic power, uh, strength or capability in this current arrangement. And and that's what, uh, before I pass it over to Brother Richard, that's what I um, I want to kind of start out with is the, the because you hear it a lot, um, and especially after they kind of reorganized things after uh, George Floyd and the people started coming back out after the COVID uh, shutdown or lockdown, that this $1 trillion of black buying power. But then when you start looking at, and, and I haven't even done it, you know, I'm no economist. I don't do a deep dive like you into looking in all of these statistics. But even if you do a cursory look at what's going on in these cities, uh, both large and, and, and medium sized and even small, and see the poverty rate among black people, the unemployment rate, the wages earned, the businesses. Uh, the Brookings has a site where you can pull up just about every city, both large and medium size, in this country and see the percentage of black businesses. Then you kind of start wondering, where is this buying power? Because black people spend, we spend money. But the power associated with it is, I, I think, is what you're talking about. Uh, that first definition I read as in regards to capitalism, uh, in which private actors own property in accord with uh, their interests and set uh, demand and supply to supply those markets, the owning of property has been snatched from our people almost since 1900 when black farmers owned millions of acres of land and it had been taken and, and, and even to this day we have uh, farm heads on different farmers talking about where this stuff is still going on at a rapid pace so how can there be a black buying power Professor Ball and before I turn it over to Richard or even a control of a market when you don't own land maybe you can explain that to me well, the short of it is, is that there can't be. And okay, okay. I was, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I was just at a symposium where, where, uh, a sister doing work on this, uh, and I'll, I'll try to get her name before I, uh, before we wrap, but, uh, she, her work is, is on this issue in particular showing how, uh, over the last half century, I believe it was that black, uh, if not maybe a little longer, but the point was black people had lost or had robbed from them close to $400 billion in, 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 uh, land theft and, and wealth from what would land would produce. Uh, and that the land accumulation among elite white men alone in the United States already makes it nearly impossible for there to be an argument around black people accumulating enough land that would be arable and developable and, and, uh, uh, with, with the, with the produce and whatever wealth is generated there being distributed to, to a large enough segment of the black community to change or to somehow close the, the divide in, 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 in income and wealth. That's part of the fantasy. So you, you've already pointed to something very importantly that I often, as much as I talk about this work, struggle to do in short, 
uh, uh, summaries at the beginning of conversation. The, the word buying power or the phrase buying power redefines is, is, is by design at this point meant to redefine in the consciousness of a target audience what, what is, what, what is being conveyed there. Power does not mean what we think it is, uh, traditionally meant to mean when we talk about power. In the phrase buying power, power is meant to represent the ability of consumers, in this case, black consumers, to enrich the white owned corporations that are using the, the, the buying power total in fi- figure to justify where they target their ad spending. So in other words, as I've shown in my research, the, 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 the one point whatever trillion in buying power that we often hear about, uh, usually coming from the Selig Center, uh, in their own arguments, in their own reports, in their own research says these are estimates and projections. These are based on survey data of, of, of what black consumers are reporting to be spending their money on when they go shopping. This is not an assessment of a pool of wealth that black people have some control over and have the ability to invest or to to spend differently in the economy. It is a measurement of the wealth that is being created by the owners of the economy who need whatever black people have to spend to be spent in the economy or the economy, which is 70 percent based on consumption, will collapse ends up happening in the false reporting is it gets targeted back at us and weaponized to make us think that we are poor because we are spending ignorantly, that we we lack, quote unquote, financial literacy, that we are somehow confused and, and uh, uh, not taking advantage of the wondrous and, and endless opportunity in this country. That is the mythology. That is what is being done to target us and make sure that we don't say, wait, this is something wrong here. This is a mess. We need to organize so that we are say, and, and my joke has become for a certain, you know, for those of us, a certain generation will appreciate this reference, but my joke has become, I'm very Frank white with this. If there's a nickel bag being sold in the park, I want to cut. We are producing $150 trillion in personal wealth every year by spending our money when we go shopping and paying our bills and doing all of the things that we're supposed to do in this society where is the where is the cutback for that? Where is the comeback to us for that? So instead of telling us to have greater financial literacy, we should be better rewarded for spending in an economy that demands it. Otherwise, it collapses. So that's that's part of the problem that that that, that I'm trying to struggle with in in, in this work. <laughs> Richard, now now uh, Dr. Ball, I'm going to be probably all over the place, but I'm going to try to tailor as I. And one thing I wanted to say as I went through the book, I think your argument is um, um, beautifully and tightly done. I mean, as far as lining up the how this process, this system was put in place to have this outcome of creating this myth and how the state and, you know, has constructed it. And so which. Now, in listening, you know, back and forth for people dealing with this came to my mind, and I'm wondering this. Do the opponents, black opponents particularly, of your thesis of of this myth of um, black buying power, is it because of the myth, um, or is it because as they uh, um, look through the text and the arguments you make in your communication with them that you're attacking specifically Two, two areas, the social class or the black middle class and the black media. 
Do you think it's because of the argument of the myth of buying power or what you're saying about them in participation of perpetuating this myth that they some seem uneasy with your what you're what you're presenting? I appreciate the question, but I unfortunately I would have to speculate because and, and I'm I know how this sounds, but I'm unaware of anyone who has ever actually read the book and then publicly explained a criticism of the argument. So the only people I hear from who who claim to be dis, in disagreement are are people who have not read the book or who are confused about what they think they've heard my argument to be. So I, I now I could speculate and say, sure, perhaps it is because they feel a kind of way about their class interests being targeted or their uh, uh, place in in a punditry space being uh, uh, threatened. I honestly I don't know, but but there has been and and certainly no one has you know, taking the time to, to write out a critical review or to do a, a podcast that I'm aware of where they're having had read the book explaining what, what they disagree with. Uh, now, that's not to say that there aren't flaws or, or areas to be critical, but but so I just but to the point of your question, I just I say I don't know. So the, again, all the popular criticism and a lot of the, 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 uh, intellectual tough talk on, on social media has come from people who have admitted to not having read the book, which I find to be remarkable, uh, uh, that, that people are happy to be very loud and just taking snippets or, or what they think I'm, I'm saying and, and dismissing it. But, uh, some of it has come from, uh, misunderstandings when they they hear of uh, a name that they revere being what they think criticized because one of the arguments that has that was admittedly uncomfortable was that a, across the political black political spectrum this myth myth has been misunderstood so from from Dr King a little bit to 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 Malcolm X at one point to Minister Farrakhan to to Amos Wilson to Claude Anderson a lot of people. On this one issue, and I'm not arguing against anything else that they've said anywhere else, just mm-hmm. on this one issue, uh, Du Bois and Garvey both were, were at one point or another misunderstanding this, this, this myth. Uh, and it's not that, so I'm not, I'm not trying to say that Jared is better than them or, or I'm criticizing everything that all of these greats have said or done. I'm just saying on this one issue, they've misunderstood and helped push along uh, the mythology because it, uh, uh, the, 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 the name, uh, the branding, so to speak, uh, helps pass, pass it along. Then people just regurgitate it without really investigating the origins of the claim or what those numbers mean or how they're arrived uh, or determined. And I, as I show in my book, there's, there's nothing beneath them. There's, it is an empty, uh, and what others will also note if they ever investigate this, nowhere in the economic world, Across the political spectrum, does anybody ever use buying power to assess the strength or weakness of a community? Because they know it has nothing to do with that. So it's only really when it's weaponized against black people here in the United States. And increasingly it's happening. It's, it's becoming an issue across the continent of Africa uh, and in and, and Latin America. But but it's 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 origins are, are being weaponized against us here. And it's 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 been uh 
largely successful in conjunction with a lot of other things. I mean, this is not obviously the only thing being done to us, but but this is just one small piece of it. By the way, Earl Ofari has just released the 2024 edition of his updated version of uh, his capitalism, uh, is uh, the myth of black capitalism, which I write about a little bit in my book is, is sort of a, uh, uh, a, a sort of a guiding light of, of, of my own work. And I consider my work to be a subset of, of what he had done 50 years ago. And in the updated edition, he concludes by saying again, yeah, capitalism, black capitalism is still a myth. And, and as a subset of that buying power works to help promote and undergird that more, more vicious myth. And that is something that I hope to, to write more about uh, going forward. I, I know it was earlier, um, really, your, your dissertation work, and this going back to something that Elliot raised in his definition. Um, you you kind of um, brought raised a, raised or had discussion around um, a colony, and, and I'm wondering mm-hmm. is this um, this this work here, and I, I'm, I'm using your term, a subset in relationship to looking at black um, black population in America as a colony within the context of the American power structure. Do you agree with that? Or is that um, far-fetched, one, that black people is a colony, and two, that the work itself kind of fits in supporting um, this, the, how a colony could be controlled um, in, in relationship to the state? No, I do. I mean, I, I've, I've always thought the best way to approach an understanding of of how black people in the United States relate to the United States is as an internal colony uh, or some variant mm-hmm. thereof. So, so I, you know, in the buying power work, I was intentionally, and I think this, I'm, I'm, I'm back and forth as to how much of a mistake this was, but I, but I, I intentionally was trying to, avoid some of the broader politics uh, and ideological arguments because I just wanted people to focus on the history and origin of this one myth and hopefully to sort of shake loose some of that uh, uh, intellectual uh, uh, bondage that, that chains us to this black capitalist nonsense. But uh, I, I think going forward, I have to be, I, 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 that has to change. And one of the points, so it, one of the points would be that if, if we understand the relationship First of all, if we understand even what Marx and Engels and others were arguing about what capitalism is, it's not just an economic relationship. It's a social relationship, as is colonialism. It's meant to manage the the relationships we have with one another in this society. And that that allows for a colonizer to exist and they need to reproduce that that process over and over again. They have to constantly reproduce the colonized as the colonized so as to reproduce themselves as the colonizer. And in 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 this is this buying power mythology is is absolutely plugged part of a to be plugged into an uh, a broader apparatus that is by design weaponizing a media environment as it would target any colony and if you if we look at the history of US mass communication they're very explicit in saying black people here are no different than than the people we're fighting in Korea and in the jungles of Vietnam and in the 50s and 60s they were already talking about the need to take the psychological warfare that they were using the communicative 
warfare they were using in Vietnam and Korea back here to the United States to fight the internal insurgents, as they were even calling uh, Nat Turner, uh, uh, here in the United States. So, so again, it's not even so much that Jared is, 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 is saying this. It's, it's the, if it's the counterinsurgency arguments of the state that continue to tell me and anyone who pays attention that we are a colonized targeted insurgent community. And, and uh, we may think it, you know, it's, you know, because it doesn't look like we're taught it should look in a movie because it doesn't look like a world war two movie or a Vietnam movie uh, where we're, it, it makes it easier for us to be confused. It makes and because we're the most heavily propagated propagandized community in world history. Those, all of us in the United States, never mind just black people that, that it's, it's harder for people to again, see, and I'll stop here with Marshall McLuhan said that, that we know fish did not discover water because an all pervasive environment is always beyond perception. And we are these, this fish swimming in this water being told we're freer, at least that we are in a, in a democracy that is capitalist and that will, will reward those who earn it. And, uh, every time someone tries to shake people loose from that, there's an endless array of, of psychological warfare that says, no, 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 come on back over here. You don't need to listen to that. And, so. it, and you know, and it, and it, uh, and uh, the reason why, another reason why I think that um, this book is so tight is because um, in traveling through, and you meant you start off with the, what is that, the Bureau of Labor Statistics? Is that mm-hmm. the agency that begins this process of, all right, well, you define how does the Bureau of Labor Statistics begin this process of one, um, collecting and then identifying why it's collecting this kind of information for, for America in general. Well, as, as, as I read their own literature and history, and as I read some of the supporting literature on, on the history, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics is, is developed around the turn of the 20th century as a subset of, of a government and private business need to, to, figure out a way to make sure that working people don't rebel. And they were trying to figure out that, that, and I keep coming back to that, that, that thing they talk about in, in, uh, sodas that, that the, the, the sweet point, the, I think they call it the sweet point, the, the, the perfect amount of sugar put in a, in a soda to make you love it without it becoming too, too much. And that's, they were trying to find that sweet point. How do we pay working people enough that they can buy the products that they're producing and keep the economy going, but not enough that they don't need to go to work and they don't cut too much into our profit. And working people were being more organized and labor unions were evolving and strikes were occurring and and more unrest was evolving and they were trying to figure this out. And it's, it's out of that, that this pro, that this, this Bureau of Labor Statistics comes out. And then it, it's part of the work that it's meant to help us to, to assess, uh, 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 where money is in the economy and how, how it's being spent in the economy. But as they're clear to say, again, it's not a measurement of, 
the economic condition of various communities in the country. It's a measurement of where they're saying they're spending their money. And if there's, and, and a lot of it is if they're spending X amount on bread, we need to adjust bread prices. If, if we need, you know, that's, you know, uh, but in the hands of the particularly post world war two marketing community, which is again, a subset of a, of, of an intelligence agency and military, uh, as Marshall McLuhan also said, advertising is a vast military operation. I mean, the, the same techniques, and they, this is they, as they explain, the same techniques they use to sell soap, they use to sell presidents and national identities and histories. So it's, it's, it's in that post-World War II moment that all of this labor statistic and buying power and consumption data is weaponized in for a variety of reasons, but in this reason to encourage that this country and the world see that even the formerly enslaved can become a middle class in, in a, in a democracy led by the United States and its business community. And that's, part of where, and then there was the black business class and the media class, John H. Johnson in particular, and others who took advantage of this and were happy to say, yeah, I want, I want that bag too. I want, uh, you know, when there's, you know, if there's ad money being spent, we need it. We need it too. And obviously, as you all know, and anyone in broadcasting knows there is a, you know, there is, particularly if you're doing it commercially at all, you need ad revenue. Ad revenue determines almost all the content uh, of, 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 so that's where, that's where it was all coming from. And, and, and the reason why I, I wanted to, um, you know, like really um, show that, you know, what you lay out here in developing the state and, and as you just spoke to the state apparatus to not just, um, the, the purpose of propaganda for the purpose of, of directing the economy. And you, you use a reference of by the President Harry, and Tru- Harry Truman, which I thought was interesting, where it says to, uh, to, we must increase consumer purchasing power and then the rest of the economy, was that the rest of the economy will automatically grow. So showing that it's a conscious, you know, national effort to do this on one hand, and then you also show using the 1947 National Security Act, which really blew my mind in relationship to the quote that you use, where the evolution, again, I mean, the reason, again, I'm, I'm saying this for the time for awakening audience to actually um, do not do what um, Dr. Ball said others have done, speak to the argument without reading the book. So I'm, I want to make sure that um, we see what you put in here, um, depending on wherever we're coming from, because I'm going to come back to something else, but where you make this point in, of about how in 1950, I guess, so that is after this um, National Security Act, I thought this was the symbiotic relationship between the academic discipline now called mass communication and the more shadowy entity that America called psychological warfare, the British called political warfare, and the German in in perhaps the most telling expression at all. And I I don't know German, so whatever. All, um, what's that? Worldview warfare 
By the early 1950s, agencies such as the Department of Defense, the U.S. Information Agency, and the CIA were spending between $7 million and $13 million annually um, for universities and think tanks. I think that that's very telling that it's an intentional. Is that, is that the point that you make, that this apparatus is being built out for two purposes, security and for business specifically, which you had already said. Am I getting that right? Um, you know, more or less. I mean, again, in the, after the second world war and the U S is, is standing there with all this power and they immediately, uh, picking up from where they started before world war one said, we need to get even more serious about how we study the ability to manipulate public opinion. We, we, you know, we can't, if, if one tenth of the population or one tenth of 1% of one of the population is going to have all the wealth, they can't fight everybody. So they're going to have to turn people into being on their side. And I mean, they, you know, when I, I read back, I went back a few months ago and saw this when George Creel, who was, who was hired by Woodrow Wilson in, during the first world war to promote among young white men, the, the, the war to get them to go overseas and get shot up in the trenches of Europe. He was asked, how did you do it? How were you so successful? And and the phrase he said, he said, we, we, we conquered their convictions and I can't, I can't somehow can't get that out of my head. Like that's, that's how they see communication. So when people always, you know, one of the refrains I get is, you know, it's always entertainment. It's just a song. It's just a movie. You're doing too much. You, 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 no, it, it, from their perspective, entertainment only exists as another mechanism of conquering our convictions. And what are our convictions? Our convictions are our most deeply held desires and interests. And he's saying we conquered them. We, 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 and, and Jen Easterly, who runs one of the Homeland Security versions of that happening right now, coming out of the National Security Agency. She describes it as constructing our, our cognitive infrastructure, mm. literally building up how you're going to think. We're going to, we're going to build you up from intellectually from day one using a media environment and messaging. So, I, so yeah. And I, I, yeah, so you're, you're exactly right. And the, 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 the whole point as it relates to, us and buying power is how do you make sure that this potentially this colonized and potentially potentially rebellious threat to our national security is less of a problem and one of the main ways of doing it is to say let's use black capitalism let's use this buying power mythology let's convince even other black people to tell their own that we are poor because you don't know how to save money and open up a mutual fund and all this other, and you don't circulate your dollar and you don't support black business. It's, it's, it's absurd. It's not only not true because black people support their own businesses probably more than anybody, but it's, it's, it's absurd as an economic uh, argument to, to, to address this, this problem. And Elliot, if I, if I may, I'll just ask, you know, ask that if you're both of y'all, uh, um, you know, go ahead. yeah, I'm, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. Um, because um, the the area that you also and and I think you said this is an addition of Abram Harris, 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and I kind of, and it's interesting. I, I, I've seen some work from Abraham Harris before, but uh, it did, that was, you know, kind of went out of my attention. Then you brought his name up again. And then I kind of looked at it again and I like, you know, his perspective. So it was interesting that you would add him, but, um, and also, so I'm, I'm trying to um, get to the point of the black economy, the building of a black economy, how we seen ourselves with Frazier and Harris. How did how does this play into the myth of 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 us being able to build a black economy, um, which later build, go, ties into this black middle class? How does what Abram Harris is bringing up? Um, support or refutes this point about the myth of black buying power. So Abram Harris at the time is a contemporary of Du Bois and, and at the time at least similarly political. I mean, he later became a conservative mainstream economist. But at the time that, that, that I'm talking about and referring to him in the 30s, he was saying already then in the 1930s, black He's buying black and banking black and all of the, this is nonsense. It's all meant to help the, the Negro capitalist who just wants to rip off their own community. That was his argument. Frazier had a similar argument, said there is no such thing as a separate black economy. That's part of the mythology promoted neo-colonially by the black bourgeoisie because they want to capture whatever little money exists in the black community and live relatively well. But there is no separating in a Marissa Baradaran's line that I like is that you can separate, you can segregate people, but you cannot segregate money and wealth creation requires engagement with the broader economy. So you cannot, you cannot tell people who are already colonized, oppressed, segregated, cut off from the broader economy, poor, and then say, circulate what little you have and you will generate commensurate wealth with those who are oppressing you. That's not, in fact, you are producing their wealth. The simple fact of what you even think is a segregated economy is producing wealth for the broader economy almost exclusively uh, because none of what, because there's no political power and none of what is created, none of what is created in terms of wealth is forcibly redistributed. And that's why I keep saying you know, we need we need to get past some of these mythologies to better understand that it it, it 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 shouldn't require anybody to be a good business person and it shouldn't require anybody to be quote unquote financially literate for us to benefit from the wealth we're already creating. That's part of the nonsense messaging that that helps uh, manipulate us. And I, I um, you know, as I, as I was looking through that and then the section about um, banks and and I was looking at uh, something else where um, Harris was also, you know, making some observation about the building of, of, of um, you know, black banks, how how this um, could not occur and how that, you know, just the system because of how it's how it's relating uh, and, and I can't I can't articulate it as clearly. And also, Metaron in her book, uh, Color of Money, she deals with the question about banks. Why did you think it was important to um, have a section in Black Buying Power on um, the you know propaganda of Black Buying Power to have a section about um, bank, go you know the banks? Um, what is it? Freedom was the call, but instead they got a bank. Why was it important to bring that out? 
Probably just because I had been reading her book and it's one of the many other subsets of, or, or, uh, maybe not subset, but well, it's another one of the subsets of black capitalism associated with, 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 uh, the buying black mythology. They're, they're parallels. So it's this idea that because, uh, that, that it, because we, uh, again, don't support our own banks, we don't support our own businesses, that we aren't financially literate, that this is why we, we aren't successful. And that's just not true. So, and what I tried to show in the exchange that I had with the, with the uh, CEO of industrial bank down here in DC was that as a banker, his class interests make it impossible for him to either understand or be willing to admit what is going on here. And his, he did, he completely did not understand even what buying power was or what gross domestic product was or wasn't as it relates to assessing people's individual economic condition. I mean, it was a, it was a very telling experience. And I think so, so I did want to add, and that, that exchange occurred around me making this argument years ago uh, around buying power on uh, local radio in DC. So that's why I was, I, again, wanted to, to bring that up in the context of, of my argument, just to, because it's, it's, it's another, paralleling mythology that uh, uh, is unfortunately uh, again m- helping misrepresent and mislead and confuse mm. and, and I wanted to you know before I pass it back to you um, Elliot and um, you know on this bank thing and, and to go through these two paragraphs if y'all don't mind um, in the Encyclopedia of African American Business History, edited by Juliet Walker, she also um, uses um, Harris's, you know, at least to describe something, the Negro as capitalist. And on her, and as it relates to banks, or at least this section I'm pulling out, and she said that Harris began Chapter 8 commenting on this on the small size and short life of banks organized by black, blacks. Aside from a polite comment about the continued existence of mechanics and farmers bank of Durham and Raleigh, which Harris attributed to the skillful management of C.C. Spalling, he has little positive to say about black banks or black businesses in general. Black banks, to the extent that their, their lending activities were necessarily limited to small and marginal black concerns as clients would find their growth potential restricted, quote, even if they had expert management. I'll stop there. And then in, in um, Batarans, um, the the color of money on that and the, the rise of black banks, she says the most critical structural problem with black black banks face was their inability to multiply money Due to segregation, blacks created money and wealth um, through fractional reserve lending. By lending customers deposit, banks created new money. They multiply existing money in a process called the money multiplier. Now, the only thing that uh, a reason why, and I won't go any further to take not to take up any time, it seems that she was making a point that banks are established to take in money to um, to loan money so that um, from home buyers, black people are not in a condition to buy homes because they don't make enough money um, to be able to purchase homes in, in a large extent, you know, so that banks can have enough money to loan in other areas. And if they don't, 
and they have to have money on reserve just in case there is, quote, unquote, a run, they would have to rely on larger banks, which would be white banks, which makes it them not necessarily independent. And I think I thought that the logic, once you get into how what we call now gentrification works with real estate, how that all plays in to maintain black people, black banks, black the black economy and its inability to be able to be self-containing and actually still grow in this capitalist system. And and here we go to, um, you know, why I think that your book in relationship to even raising it becomes so important for us to understand it. Now, only distinction I'll make, and I'll turn it to you, Elliot, and I wanted to come back later, hopefully I'll be able to, is that I will, in, in a fantasy, Dr. Ball, you seem like a realist. In a fantasy, I would like to say that we can build an economy, but I do agree you can't do it without power, and you must be organized politically, you know, and economically to be in this kind of capitalist structure and in our placement in order to do that. And that's a, that's a challenge in and of itself. I don't know if you agree with that, but that's, um, you know, I had to put that out there. You coming back to me? I thought we, yeah. I just, no, no, go ahead, Dr. Ball, if you want to comment oh, on Oh, sure, that. sure. No, I mean, just quickly, the, the, the short of it is that, uh, Working backwards, that yes, I think political power, and I'm I'm intentionally vague with that. I admit it. I admit, uh, but but we have to have political power, the ability to 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 develop policy that determines how wealth is created and where it goes. We're never going to catch up in terms of this current economic arrangement. To to there's never going to be a closing of 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 this existing gap. Uh, uh, it, it exists by design. That's how you create the wealth that, that 1% walk off with. They, they have to create the rest of us as the 99%. So that's the short version of that. But not only in, in addition to what you just said about the banks, Baradaran also shows that, that black banks lose money on black depositors because they have to pay the, the interest or the debt on those deposits. And because even if we use the example of, that you raised of, 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 of black uh, real estate, black people buying homes, particularly in black communities, the fact of their being black and uh, in an ownership and in community devalues the property. So the banks can't make money off of it. And because those banks can't then take those pooled deposits and invest them with any meaningful way into the broader economy to bring wealth back into the bank and therefore distribute more loans, there's no – because, again, poor people can't produce the wealth out of their pooled poverty that will then come back to those banks and to those communities in ways that are meaningful and truly closing the gap. So – it, it, it's 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 by definition uh, uh, a flawed approach. But again, the, that's where I'm trying to say that the mythology kicks in because if, if everybody just steps back, if we're ever encouraged, if we're ever given proper amounts of journalism and media coverage and discussion of this, if, uh, 
it, it's it's very easy to see that what we're we're, that we're in a trick bag here, and we need other alternatives. So the only way to manage this is through sheer levels, uh, massive levels of sheer propaganda and psychological warfare, repeatedly re- having people regurgitate. We have a trillion dollars, we just don't spend it properly, and nobody. And this was the biggest thing, and I'll stop here. But this was the biggest thing for ten years before I wrote the first edition. I'm like, does anybody ever ask where people are getting this claim, this number from? And everywhere I looked, it was it was either no or the Selig Center, or as I add in the second edition, McKinsey and Company, which means it's even more global and international and pernicious now. It's like the bigger boys have gotten involved in spreading the, the mythology and the propaganda. Uh, it's going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a monster. And I hope we can come back, um, you know, after after we uh, – well, you go ahead and take it, Mike. Um, yeah, we, we, I mean, this whole thing is involved in, in the whole discussion. We're, we're in discussion with our guest this evening, Professor of Communications and Africana Studies at Morgan State University, Professor Jared A. Ball. The book, The Myth and Propaganda of Black Buying Power, is the center of the discussion. Uh, Dr. Ball, uh, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you, Richard, and Richard was uh, uh, going into the book with uh, with different things and throwing it at you. Let me ask you a question to answer for our listening audience, because I know it's important. It's highly important for black people to support their own businesses. In fact, we always have done that. But the practice of capitalism, as we know it, Western capitalism, somebody has to be exploited. And we've seen through history that you've been determined by enemies of our people that you will be the one that will be exploited. When I say you, I'm talking about black people in America, African-Americans, or wherever black people are. They determine that we're the ones that's going to be exploited. So in order to participate at a high level in this system, then I have to buy into that if I want to be, quote, unquote, a black capitalist. Um. Talk about it from that perspective, because I, what I really want to do is is try to, uh, uh, because there's a lot of things moving parts here. If we don't control the politics and economy of our communities, then it's hard to practice a, a, a collective uh, uh, economics. And I'll use that term when I'm dealing with black people instead of the black capitalists, because, like I said, somebody has to be exploited. But before I kind of go into some of the other things I want to mention, just look at it from that perspective and, and tell me, am I wrong? Am I, am I off track? Well, I, I, at least the way I understand it, the, the issue with black is, is, is a lot of people have, you know, I mentioned Earl Ofari, Manning Marable, others over time have, have made this point, but the, the, and Abram Harris was was aggressively hostile to this to this when he was making the point. The the problem with the the black business or black capitalist frame is that the goal of the black entrepreneur or capitalist is to capture the black consumer market. The black consumer market is only so big and so strong. It doesn't it doesn't produce black people don't have enough as consumers to produce the kinds of, of fanciful wealth that people think will translate into actual 
revolutionary change, or at least that's when, when that is argued. So I'm always, I just always want to be clear. I'm not arguing that we should not support black businesses. I'm not, I'm not arguing that people shouldn't attempt to break free from a, a horrific employment situation and start their own business. So I'm not, I'm not arguing that that shouldn't occur. What I am arguing is that that is not a solution to the collective problem. That is not a collectively economic solution to the collective black national oppressive internally colonized problem. So that solution only comes from radical political organization and social movements. That's why I'm trying to say um, it's nice that black people have an entrepreneurial spirit. It's nice that people want to, to in, it, obviously none of us want to do jobs we don't want and work for people we don't want to work for. But my problem is, is that when the argument as it has been intentionally by design been meant to do becomes this is the solution for all of your problems if so so uh which it cannot be it, it, so this is and, and uh, this is not speculation or jared's opinion or you know my preference even it's just by definition of the economic arrangement you you don't go from a position uh, so black people want to, so you said, for instance, black people want to control the economics and politics of their community. That's, of course, a, a, a brilliant nationalist position starting point. But if, if, if we look at what really goes into how the economy is captured and managed in any given community, we'll see that it is, this is not about people having an entrepreneurial spirit. It's about people having access to political power that sets policy that allows for businesses to be put in certain areas that allows for yes. loans and investment to be given to certain businesses versus certain others. Yes. All kinds of issue, the yes. ability to expand. This is why we often see black businesses happy to sell themselves to the first white corporate bidder that wants to buy them out because at a certain point you can't grow. So th when you're only targeting a black audience, and by the way, the same thing happens in terms of entertainment, so-called entertainment. When Tyler Perry was doing his plays just for the black community, he's not going to get rich. He, he, the rich comes when the white movie companies invest in him to build him out so that he can produce for them. And then they buy in and turn him in to the the mogul he has become. The same process is how what took Oprah from local Baltimore news to where she is today. It's the it's 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 that's what is required. You can't Oprah can't be Oprah with just a black audience. I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> Leave us alone, man. <laughs> but I'm saying this is. But I, I think I'm laughing because I think this is really the best way to understand the economics of it. You can't, whether you're making puzzles or talk shows, you can't get that big in this setup unless they come in, and they're only coming in when you're producing what they want you to produce, and you're not producing something threatening to their arrangement. That's 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 why you have coming out of Philadelphia. That's why Russell Maroon Schultz and Mumia were political prisoners. Right. And that's why others are promoted to be, you know, politicians and leaders and, and business people. Yes. That's the that's the that's the point. So, uh, yeah, sorry about that. No, I, I fully agree with what you just stated. Uh, we're going to take a brief break and when we come back. Uh, we'll continue the discussion. Uh, you can get involved, too, by dialing 
215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're in conversation tonight with our guest, Professor of Communications and Africana Studies at Morgan State University, Professor Jared Ball. The book, The Myth and Propaganda of Black Buying Power. Again, you can get involved in the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. to Time for an Awakening, Time for an Awakening, with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger. Run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family, to join your interconnected commit to you black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. On the wall, you are too. You watch with a political eye. We watch from a spiritual eye. But we're supposed to be the watchmen for the people that vote for us. The sad thing is the people vote, but they don't give you the money to run your campaigns. So here come big business. How are you? 
How are you, Judge? How are you, Alderman? <laughs> How are you, Congressman? How are you? How are you, Reverend? <laughs> well, what can I do for you today, Reverend? You can't do nothing for me. See, that's what we got to be careful of. We got to be careful of who we bow down to. Well, see, when you get in your congregation and you talk this Jesus, this powerful Jesus that's sitting at the right hand of the Father with all power in his hand, then you go with your hat in your hand to the governor, to the mayor, to the president, begging for some crumbs. You have sold your God cheap. And you make the white man downtown disrespect all of us. In short, the lords of capital are creatures of U.S. imperial dominance. They go out of business when the empire does. The rulers are looking class death in the face, and it terrifies them. And when the lords of capital become frightened, they order their servants in politics and the war industries and the vast national security networks to take care of the problem by any means necessary. That means militarily encircling Russia and China, arming and mobilizing tens of thousands of jihadist terrorists in Syria in an attempt to repeat the regime change in Libya, waging a war of economic sanctions and low-level armed aggression against Iran, occupying most of the African continent through subversion of African militaries, escalating subversion in Latin America, and spying on everyone on Earth with a digital connection. All this to stop the clock that is ticking on U.S. and European world economic dominance. The Organization of Afro-American Unity shall include all people of African descent in the Western Hemisphere. In essence, what is it thing? Instead of you and me running around here seeking allies in our struggle for freedom in the Irish neighborhood or the Jewish neighborhood or the Italian neighborhood, we need to we need to seek some allies among people who look something like we do. And once we get their allies, it's time out for you and me to stop running away from the wolf right into the arms of the fox, looking for some kind of help. Number two, self-defense. We assert the Afro-Americans' right to self-defense. The Constitution of the United States of America clearly affirms the right of every American citizen to bear arms. And as Americans, we will not give up a single right guaranteed under the Constitution. The history the history of unpunished violence against our people clearly indicates that we must be prepared to defend ourselves or we will continue to be a defenseless people at the mercy of a ruthless and violent racist mob. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. 
Welcome back to Time for an Awakening, uh, our Sunday edition. Our guest this evening in conversation, Professor of Communications and Africana Studies at Morgan State University, Professor Jared Ball. The book, the topic of discussion this evening, the myth and propaganda of black buying power. You can get involved in the conversation, too, by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Professor Ball, uh, we've got some callers here that uh, I know they've got some questions. But before we go to them, let me uh, throw this out there. Because you have other nationalities that have come to the country and been able to start business. In fact, been funneled, directed straight to black communities to start businesses there. Uh they seem to have no problem getting access to money. Multiple stores open up all throughout the community and they control the economy of black communities because they realize that black people will spend the money that they have, especially on necessities that they need. If you, if you look at uh, the dynamic of a lot of these businesses, they control the whole supply line or whatever they're dealing with, the the, uh, the 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 production of products, the distribution of the products, and they set the retail market. So, if I'm a black business in a certain community that is fortunate enough to be able to open a business, and I'm dealing with products, I'm not dealing with them from a ownership perspective. The only area I'm dealing with basically is the retail. And I don't set that price. The people that's distributing to me or the people that's producing the products basically set the retail price. So how can we, as a people, really control the economy and help our people move forward? And I'm not talking about in Western capitalism. I'm just talking about period as a people. If we don't tie our economics to land, And when you tie economics to land, then you start talking about the origin of the black people here in this country. Because if it's not a danger for Western society, and when I say Western society, I'm not just talking about the United States. It's clear that it's a danger for Western, uh, uh, for black folks that are in Western societies to start developing a pan-African ideology, a pan-African mindset where we all need to work together and tie our uh, 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 ascension as a people or restoration as a people to the land mass. It's clear that it's, 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 it's a danger to them because they do everything they can to stop it. So before we go to these callers, I, I just want your perspective on that. Tying our uh, economy to a landmass, because it's clear that under Western capitalism, it is tied to ownership of land. So I, I just want your perspective on that, Dr. Paul, before I go to some. Well, I, I mean, on, on some level, I agree, and, on, and, and but I'm not necessarily sure. But again, I don't think, it, I think our what we should be tying ourselves to is political organization and assumption of political power. 
And again, I, by that, I do not mean, you know, the, the argument over Democrats and Republicans. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh. actual political power. Okay. The, 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 to be, as, as Dr. Clark said, responsible handlers of power. So my point, because if, because it, I, Tactically, and I'm just trying to, for the sake of time, I'm not entirely sure how, to, to which land uh, are we going to attach ourselves and in what way. Because, again, one of the problems in the United States, and as we see throughout the African diaspora, is it doesn't necessarily matter if you have nominal ownership of the land if you do not have control over, for instance, your military. Okay. As we see with AFRICOM, if you don't have control over the extractive process, if you have the land, but you don't have the ability to take out of the land the resources and turn those into marketable goods that are then sold and then have that wealth back into your country, if you don't control all of that uh, and the military apparatus to protect all of that, then it doesn't it, it, having nominal ownership of land doesn't matter. So so that's why I keep coming back to this argument that we need to be thinking about wherever we are, how do we have some, and in what ways, and in the clips you played, there's a lot of inspiration there. In what ways do we insert ourselves militantly to assure that, again, I don't want to have to have people in my community be the best business people on the planet. I want us to be respected as human beings, regardless of where we are in a class relationship or a business relationship to, to wealth creation. So if, 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 if I don't know anything about business and I go to the, and I go and I work and I go to my, and I take my salary and I go to the store and buy goods, I have participated in wealth creation. I want a fair cut, meaning healthcare, real housing, real time off, real freedom to be independent, to build with my communities and however the hell away the way, excuse my language, the way I want to, and then let other answers and solutions come from that. But that, but that initial step, I think, has to be taken where we're saying, look, I, we don't we shouldn't have to figure out even white folks in a white supremacist settler colonial situation have not been able to figure out a way to get rid of the dominance of Amazon and Walmart and Google and the, and the intelligence agencies and the warfare apparatus. Their poor white kids are still getting bombed, dropped on them and shot up in, in, in places all over the place. And they're all strung out on meth and have no health care too. So, so what I'm saying, so what I'm saying is even in a society built for them, this doesn't work for them. So go out to, I was just in rural Pennsylvania. If, if, if we ever need to, not that we need to be worried about why, I'm not saying, but if you ever need to be reminded, go to rural Pennsylvania and go to the local whatever and look at the white folks that come into the store. These people are not doing well. These people are not, they're not chilling in this white supremacist capitalist society. So what I'm saying is rather than replicate that in a black context, I'm saying we need a version that says, no, I just saw the report. $150 trillion in personal private wealth was generated for, for one-tenth of 1% of the population last year. Give it up. Spread it out. We did that. We already, we've already, like Glenn Ford used to teach us, Daruba still said, Daruba bin Wahad still says today, we've already won the victory. We've already produced the wealth that would satisfy all the needs of every human being on the planet. Y'all just need to give it up. And we need the movement that makes that happen. And all of these little arguments with each other over you don't spend your money right and you don't support my business right. And the this community came into our community and set up a business and they're, they're the price. That's all nonsense. Total nonsense. 
boy, let's, let's uh, Ali, before you go, go to, to go the callers, can I play um play this? Go ahead. Uh, and and Dr. Ball, you tell me what you think of it and hopefully if uh, I got it right. Yes. I got it right. Oops, wait a minute. Um, and it goes to the 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 point of those Selleck, Nielsen, and McKinsey. Really interesting thing about the black consumer is it's not monolithic. And in fact, if you do an attitudinal segmentation, which we did, we found that for the black consumer, we found two additional segments that get muddled if you do a broader segmentation of consumers in general. And so if you're working from this five-segment view of the world, you're missing the nuance and therefore an opportunity to better tailor your products and services to black consumers. Today, they spend around $900 billion. Uh, and by 2030, we expect that number to grow to around $1.7 I think more interestingly, if you, if you look at granular data around where black people live and look at the forward trend and trajectory of their consumption, black consumer spend is actually projected to grow faster uh, across various census tracts than, the, than, than other uh, segments of the population. And this is, has to do with dynamics around the demographics of, of the black population, higher educational uh, attainment levels going forward. We found in our research that black consumers are much more likely to seek out and place emphasis on brands that are trustworthy, that have a clear social mission, that, that appeal to their cultural values, and generally have credibility among the black community. In some consumption categories, we also found that there's a real emphasis on clean uh, and or healthy products that are priced well for good value. Our research found that black consumers care more about key buying factors such as quality, uh, customized products or the ability to customize and again, the credibility of brands. Another interesting finding from the report is that black consumers are uh, more heavily weighted in the in the trendsetter segment, around 30% of black consumers. So these are folks who discover new products and services and proactively share these new products and services with their peers. So this presents a real opportunity. If you can win these customers, these, these black consumers, they're going to help you go out uh, and expand the recognition of your brand uh, through their network and beyond. Now, is that's the McKinsey uh, group. And it is a black person. It sounds so much like Johnson. Am I off on that? What, uh, Richard, let me say something before Dr. Balka. What percentage of black consumers fits into what he described? <laughs> I mean, maybe you can help me with that, Dr. Ball. So, but see, this is, this is, this is exactly the point. And this is why, if, if, long story short, if we get into the history of, of who McKinsey really is, it, that's why I was saying earlier, it's worse. They're, they're a bigger name, uh, with a longer track record, a more pernicious track record of, of, of promoting state and corporate interest everywhere over municipality. They've been crushing labor and doing, they've been doing damage for a long time. So when I saw them popping up in the buying power space, I was like, Oh Lord, I said we're in trouble. But, but no, it's not meant to make sense to any of us because they're not talking to us. I'm, I, I'm really glad you played that because they're, it, we're intercepting a message here. We're, 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 we're ear hustling on someone else's conversation. They're talking, they're, they're, they're talking to each other. Uh, uh, both a to to project 
part of it is part the, tied to the old mission of projecting globally a U.S. corporate-centered version of the world because they're everywhere, all over. They're in not just black people, but every part of Asia, Europe, the continent of Africa. They're all throughout Latin America. They're all throughout the United States and Canada. They're everywhere, and the people that come through McKinsey end up working at the highest levels of everything. They're all over the place. And the, so when it comes to us, what they're doing is trying to feed into the world that even again, black people can be uh, elevated if you follow the McKinsey and the American corporate global model of capitalism. Everyone wins. So what they're saying there is, yeah, no, 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 uh, don't, don't, uh, 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 you know, worry about protests in the street or listen to certainly black radicals doing this, that, and a third. Just, just hire some black people here. Um, invest in some black people here because ultimately if you read their reports their 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 overall message and I'll, I'll just stop here is is if black people are supported th- the wealth they will help produce comes to us mm. the elite that's the point of their messaging and then we get stuck at the part of of the buying power mythology <laughs> let me grab some of these calls while, while we uh, still have our guests let's go to let's go to Newport News Newport News Newport News. Yeah, uh, how you doing, Elliot? And great, Richard? great, great. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite people, Doctor Ball. Mm-hmm. Shout yes, out sir, to thank that. Thank you very collaborative much. Work he's, been, he's been doing with BPM. I know that you wouldn't mind me shouting them out. I've been watching the reparations movement, and uh, also with Scotty Reed and Max Parthas on the 13th over the last decade or so. And Dr. Ball has done a great achievement with BPM. That's about all I want to say. I'd be entertaining the rest of the questions. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> and, and and shout out to Newport News. I spent some time down there when serving my naval sentence. So shout out to all of you. You call it a naval uh, sentence. Well, <laughs> uh, people get upset with me because I... I use the term that you use on your program every morning, Dr. Petty. I I grew up with the uh, Fleet Week being a big thing for a surge of oh, money in boy. my neighborhood. I'm from York County. Mm-hmm. So you get it. Have a good day. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and I apologize <laughs> on behalf of <laughs> all of us who, who, who spent some of that money. Thanks for, your con- just Thanks for your contribution. Let's go to uh, right. Carla. <laughs> Carla, are you there? Carla? Uh-oh. Let's put them back on hold. Maybe they're not ready. Let's go to uh, Philadelphia. Carla? Yes. Um, my name is Joy. I just wanted to say, um, I just wanted to first address uh, Brother Richard, Brother Elliot. Thank you so much for providing this program and your consistency through this whole, um, you know, just the amount, many the many years that you've been on air. Like, thank you so much for your consistency and providing this platform. It's very necessary. Um, I definitely, um, I want to say hello to our guest as well, Dr. Gerald, um, Gerald Ball. Gerald Ball, sorry. Um, Ellie, I completely agree with you that ownership of land and particularly sea now um, is very important. Um, I believe that Jared, uh, Mr. Dr. Ball's work is a necessary critique 
of um, black buying power. One analogy that I just thought of as he was speaking was um, about the whole, in social media, everybody's been talking about Yassine Day or formerly known as Mosef and what he called Drake's music, um, shopping music of hip hop. So I feel like black buying power is kind of similar. It's like the, it's like the nice cuddly version of what is, what is supposed to be power. It's a powerful concept, but right now that is not happening with that. So yeah, it's catchy. It's enjoyable, but it just has no particular place or power right now. Uh, one of the things I wanted to point out is that um, Dr. Neely Fuller um, defines economics as how we spend our time. Most people, we usually spend our time either making money or, or working or having fun, right? So um, these are the two concepts that I thought of because I know that me, as for me and my family, I'm only one generation away from servitude, like a domestic, my my grandmother was domestic help, um, and only two generations from sharecropping. So that's definitely a, a point there. And then the other thing I thought of with um, Dr. Bald was just the way we spend our time. Like, what are we doing? Um, I know that I do consume a lot of black media. Unfortunately, most of it is pretty ratchet, I hate to say, but um, don't call me white. Don't call me white girl podcast. I love her. <laughs> um, Zeus Network is ridiculous. Black owned, but ridiculous. Um, so just how we're spending our time and just making sure that our youth is not only indulging in like what we consider popular black culture that is accepted by um, media, but also finding something that you can do really good at and learning from everybody, no matter what race, creed, culture, like finding the thing, like your thing and just going in on that thing. So the question that I have for Dr. Ball is, um, what do you think about the imagery of um, black people, particularly black Americans um, in the media space? And then I have one other question after that. The First of all, the short of the short thing, the the short response has to include a shout out to that analogy you drew between what Yasin Bey said and my argument. That was bars to me. Thank you very much. And Bay was exactly right about Drake. And I come from the era of rap is not pop. If you call it that, then stop. So I don't know why all of a sudden it's become controversy to 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 raise that that critique uh so that's one thing so thank you for that uh the and i was just disappointed that that bay felt at all it necessary to go on his instagram and apologize which was unfortunate but uh the imagery and i write a little bit about this in 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 this book is the is a, a major component and a massive problem and some of the things you know i've i've borrowing uh from an old friend of mine have evolved what we talk about on our platform sometimes is the Vernon philosophy of black media avoidance. And the point being that we should never look to see ourselves in mainstream commercial media. Uh, and when we like what we see, we should become more critical because, because given the context of this media environment, when we like something, it's usually meaning that it's, it's found a way to, to, to deliver its horrible messages to us in a form that we like. 
I've been suckered by it as much as most recently with the American fiction film. Uh, and my, my man named Tume had to come on my show and, and, and correct my own analysis using my own analysis in part. Uh, but so, so we're all susceptible to it. I study this. I focus on this all the time and I'm, and, and, and none of us are, are, can escape it. Uh, so we just have to be more critical about what we engage and how we engage it and then ask ourselves more critically where I don't because I don't criticize anyone for for our ratchet moments with media. I just want us to be more clear where why we un, that we understand why we're going to that media and where and when we think we're getting certain information from that media, we should be more critical about the source. Uh, so so that's my caution and quick response because image is essential to the manipulation of public opinion. Uh, so when we see our image in a way that we think we like, we should be even more concerned. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for that. And then the second question I had, it actually goes flows right into that perfectly, just about um, just having a pan-African global perspective on uh, black buying power. I feel like my money goes way further when I'm helping my African friends uh, abroad, um, sending them things that they may need um, helping them with their communities and their village. So I do feel like like pow- buying power becomes an actual thing when, you know, I'm sending money to South Africa or Barbados or, you know, Belize or Guyana. Like, I, then I believe that black buying power becomes a thing. Um, but I did want to ask you what you thought of the ICJ judgment in Gaza. Um, Gerald Horne said that he believed that this could be a something ground or something that blacks can um, use to also progress. And I just wanted to see what you thought about um, the ICJ judgment and how black people can use that as well. So, the, again, quickly, the first part, what I'm sh- what I've shown in my work is that the phrase buying power is not understood. It does not mean power is not referencing power in the way we think of economic power. It's referencing only the ability or the power of consumers, in this case, black consumers, to enrich the white owners of our economy. So. When you say remittances to our, our, our African diaspora sisters and brothers, it becomes power because you feel or you see it doing good work. That's again falling into the trap of the mythology. It's because you're attaching what you are defining accurately as what power should be and, and associating it with the phrase buying power, which has a separate definition and meaning. And that's the difference in that is, I think, important to understand. So I, I, I know it sounds terrible, but I would encourage you to, to, to engage my work, read it if you can, uh, or just engage some of the media on it and, and see some of the differences there. Because, again, remittances from the diaspora to the African continent uh, is, is billions and billions of dollars every year. But in the context of of the political arrangements of these economies and the overall amounts that go that that these equate to, it's not it's not enough. It doesn't mean anything in terms of ending the relationship, the colonial 
extractive, hostile relationship that ends up with all the African diaspora being largely uh, oppressed and suppressed in the economy. That's it. So that's one thing. The other, in terms of the ICJ, I think what South Africa did there is a, 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 a her, 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 Herculean effort. And not to bring Greek mythology into this African discussion, but uh, uh, and having read a good portion of that report, particularly the, and, and, and gone back to those nine pages where they outline Israel's clarity around their genocidal intent, they've done us a great service. And I have seen discussion uh, similar to what Gerald Horn was talking about, where the the table has been set, the precedent has been set for any individual country to uh, bring charges against any uh, uh, in this case Israeli aggression that is heading towards genocidal behavior and so maybe there is some use for that in terms of the specific plight of black people here to say there maybe there are um, uh, I've argued in previous work that what's happening here to black people is, is uh, satisfies the UN definition of slow motion genocide. Maybe there is an argument that can be made that that new charges of we we you know that have historically been brought from black people here against the United States to the UN on on charges of genocide and other you know can be be reignited and supported and buttressed. But much like my previous point, all of it requires the 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 basis the foundation of us being politically organized mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's the i think the biggest issue yeah <laughs> sister thank you for your contribution yeah no problem thank you all right let's go to six four let's go to toronto toronto uh yes uh greetings to richard greetings to elliot and i have a question for dr ball uh, there was a book in uh, 1969 that was uh, written by a brother by the name of Richard Allen. Uh, it was called uh, uh, Black uh, Black Awakening in Capitalist America. And I want to ask uh, Dr. Ball, is that book still relevant in 2024? Mm-hmm. To me it is, and I'm hugely biased by that. I had the privilege of, of meeting and briefly working a little bit. With with, with 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 Professor Allen, he's I got a, several interviews with him on my website. I mix what I like dot org. Plug plug. <laughs> uh, I've referenced his work. Uh, you know, I I think so. The again, uh, I I think. Long story short, the establishment of that relationship of one of of internal colonialism for me continues to to give all the answers. Uh, and I know not a lot of people agree with that. Uh, there's, uh, you know, it's an ongoing discussion and debate, but my bias for me is of course that it, it, to me, it's the perfect way to solve even the race, class and cultural, uh, uh, division, so to speak within the, the, the black liberation community. Uh, and, uh, uh, but yeah, so yes, absolutely. It's still relevant. Uh, yeah. Okay, the next thing and the last thing is uh, 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 I went to, uh, I live in, in, in Toronto, and I saw that Drake did his, uh, or on his father's side, he did his DNA, and he's uh, he might be a Yoruba man, but he's definitely 
he has a on his father's side the whole Nigerian thing. Uh, you know, he he's he's a, a Nigerian. I don't know if it's Igbo, Yoruba, or uh, House or whatever, but Nigerian. But I just wanted to say that uh, basically that uh, you know that he just proves Huey P. Newton's uh, statement that blackness is necessary but not sufficient. <laughs> the hotline bling thing is, uh, you know, the hotline bling, that, 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 that's Drake, you know what I mean. That's yeah. all I wanted to say. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your contribution. Yeah, right on. Thank you. <laughs> Let's go to New York City. New York. Good evening to you, Elliot Richard, and to Garrett Ball. Um, two questions. Number one, Garrett, do you feel that black people in the United States have community? Yes. Mm -hmm. And could you define what community is and could you tell me do black people have community in each state? Mm. So again, at the risk of you know, I don't want to uh, be the 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 all knowing of all blackness in all spaces, but but the, you are, <laughs> no, I just you are, but it's cool. Okay. All right, so no, I think I do think where black people are, there is community. I think I think like has been said by Mary Baraka and others historically, black is a country. That even beyond these imposed boundaries, black people often see each other. Uh, and I am a biased by my pan-Africanism. I'm biased by my pan-Africanist experience to the point where even uh, as I'm often misidentified as all types of different things, even where I go throughout the black world, I find community and see community. Now, is it is it a, a free, liberated, properly functioning community at all times? Not at all. But I do think in general that that, that, that community exists so much so that there's uh, – so much effort on the part of those in power to destroy that community and that, that, that recognition. So I absolutely uh, do see it and think it exists. Well, you know, Joe, I usually don't agree with you on everything, <laughs> but I'm going to disagree with you on this one. And the only right. reason I, I disagree with you is just based on the simple fact, let's take something like New York city in New York city. I live in Harlem, which is supposedly the mecca of black America at one time. I would say now it's not because black people don't control the economy within the community. So when you speak about black wealth and I identify community, then I'm saying, well, where are we really in this country in control of the economic in the wealth development within these so-called communities. So that that's where me and you basically um, disagree because black people in Harlem do not own 10% of the businesses. That's not community to me. We don't control the school boards. We don't control, matter of fact, to be honest with you, anything. And I've lived in Harlem for almost 60 years. And I remember at a time where there was more of a symbol of the community when, you know, the nation and in the 80s and the 90s had the 
black power, you know, Pan-African movement because I was a part of it. And we had black businesses, a little more home ownership. So that's all. But, you know, I dig where you're coming from, man. You know, anytime you could get me up early to sometime listen to your program, you're all right with me. But the, <laughs> well, second, the second point is this. And I know you're a man of reparations. I honestly feel two ways about it. I don't think white folks will ever give us reparations because of the simple fact we haven't placed ourselves in a power position to get reparations. We haven't gotten to the point of having a stronghold to not be manipulated like Biden's going to do in regards to the new discussion of reparation. So, So what I would like to do is ask you this. What can we do in regards to reparations, getting it, and what can we do in regards to how we receive the reparation? Because if we received it monetarily, it'll go right back in the hand of the white man within a month. So I I, I hear you, and I appreciate you uh, and your support and and. Uh, as Brother Ellie's been saying, your contribution. I, I, so again, just for the sake of time, I think that your definition of community differs from mine in the sense that I don't, my definition of community does not require uh, any level of, of really any political or economic control. Uh, I think we can find community in any different number of different ways, but I think your, what your point is still, well taken i get it in terms of reparations i mean I, I've, I've sort of been making my my argument around reparations all evening uh i think that in many ways the reparations movement has been intentionally narrowed to a fight over uh getting a bill passed just to conduct a study uh or the narrow idea with, with some some expansion over the last few years in particular, but uh, the narrow idea of individual checks being cut to, to black people and how that would be determined who gets what is still very interesting a discussion. But, uh, but I think tactically I, I agree that the idea that two-thirds of this country would vote for a constitutional redistribution of, of trillions of dollars just to black people or billions or whatever – I find that hard to imagine. Uh, but uh, so I even, again, I think that tactically, not that black people don't deserve everything. The point would be just that tactically, I think if, if the argument is let's redistribute these trillions that are going to a handful of people and make it so that everybody has a, a decent home, housing, free health care, free education, uh, employment, gainful, respectful, and safe employment with all kinds of time off. If we just do all that kind of stuff and, and maybe, uh, erase people's debt and so on and so on, uh, we would, we would, again, if we get after that bigger pot of, right here, of, of the wealth. So, right here, sir. Okay. Now, yeah, thanks for your contribution. Yeah, I don't know that right. <laughs> things got busy for my man there. Okay. Anyway, so, you know what? Uh, we're going to have to yeah. go rapid fire because I know that you uh, uh, got to go at night. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I got yeah, I got I got a full slate of classes tomorrow morning. Yeah, so let, I gotta let me try to go rapid fire here. Let's go to Albuquerque. Yes, sir. Oh good show. Oh, okay, but thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your thank contribution. You All right. That's rapid as it gets. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, go, let's, That's it. let's go to Philadelphia. Oh, good evening, Brother Elliot. How you doing, Elliot? Good. Hey, hey Brother Rick and, and Professor Barr, how y'all doing? Greetings. Uh, praise be to Allah. Yeah, yeah, um, first, it was so good to hear that sister that called a few minutes ago. Uh, sister was dynamic and stuff. I hope the sister called more often. I like the comments. You know, Professor Barr, a few things real quick. Uh, when you talked about... Um, the, the the bank uh, down in Washington. What's the name of that bank you mentioned, the brother Richard earlier? Industrial the, Bank. Yeah, I have a yeah I have, I have an account with them. I have a credit card. See, I'm, I in other words, Doctor Barr, I try to do my part. You know, I'm just little old me and Philly. I try to do my part. I have a, a credit card account with them. I have a checking account with uh, United Bank. I mean, United Bank of Philadelphia here in Philly, and I have a. Uh, savings account with uh, one United Bank. So I, all my finances is done with the three black banks in America that I'm aware of, you know, and I have stock in United Bank. So I try to do my part on my end, you know. So, I mean, that's, I, I, you know, I appreciate you, you know, you know, saying that. And, uh, you know, when you talk about, um, when you talk about black world, you know, I, I was telling Brother earlier, earlier today, uh, Professor Bob, we, our people, black people everywhere in this earth, I mean, you find black people everywhere because I was telling him, when I was downtown and down in downtown Philly the other day, I saw it's a collage they have down there, Eighth and Ninth and Market Street in downtown Philly about the well, Palestinian our well, Palestinian brothers and sisters, and they have a picture of these two boys. They're about seven years old, two Palestinians. They have to be cousins. Now, now one of the Palestinian boys are, are light skinned They're like a, like like a young light skinned black man boy, and the other boy is a, a dark skin. Matter of fact, if you didn't see the word Palestinian, Professor Barr, you would think he was some little young black boy. They, they, his hair cut like in a short paper today style that you see young black boys wear. And, uh, and, and he looked like I said, if he came into your, into well, well, your school. Well, listen, I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but we're going to lose our guests at nine. Exactly. Okay. So if you had a question, okay. that would be good. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I just want, again, I just want to say that we, that we everywhere. And, uh, when you talk about, um, when you talk about, uh, you know, ec- economics and stuff, I, I just find it so odd that, you know, we as black people, we, uh, you know, we always seem to find ourselves always at the bad end of the stick because, like I said, my Indian friend downtown, he has a newsstand. And he, uh, you know, he's from India. You know, him and his people just came over to America just for the last couple of years, and they got newsstands and gas stations all over the place. And then right in downtown Center City, right near where his newsstand is, that you got Chinatown, uh, Dr. Ball. And then right in that Chinatown vicinity, you got five or six uh, banks, Asian banks and stuff, just for Asian people, Japanese, Korean, whatever. And I'm certain the economy seems to be flowing. So I always ask the question, Dr. Barr, why is it with us? Why is it because we always the ones that seem to be behind the eight ball politically, economically? I mean, it's, it's just something wrong with that picture, man. And I just, it always, that's always bothered me. All these other groups come here and they have economic power and in some cases political power. And their people, their politicians seem to fight for them and make sure they get the things. But it seems like our policies don't do that for us. So that's the question I have for you, Dr. Ball. Part of it is, 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 this is one of the things that needs a lot more time and discussion, and I need to do more work on it too, but the, the reality is that it didn't just happen overnight. These communities that you're talking about, they have state backing from their own countries, they have f- federal support from the United States government, mm-hmm. uh, and we're talking about a handful of the population doing, doing uh, uh, particularly when they're 
making money off of businesses in black communities. They're doing it's it's relatively from that process small numbers that are connected to bigger processes that are global that they've been that are able to support those efforts of a, of a really a handful of those populations it's used to now we then look at them many black people then look at them and say they're the problem but that's not the problem the problem is the public policy the federal policy the state policy of their home countries that is supporting all of this activity black people have been cut out of all of that by design and that's why i'm saying we we need to engage in political power we're never going to catch up they didn't do this on their own hard work and ingenious uh, efforts they yep. did this with the support of federal level public policy yes. and that's that's what we need to address ourselves to i got to take this last call i got to i got to okay go, go, go ahead then thank right. you for your contribution no problem let's go to georgia georgia hey hey yes sir hey brother brother richard hey this is eric this is eric hey dr ball Peace. Um, yeah. Hey, look, I um, I just want to um acknowledge, you know, the um, the um, what I, you know, how, how much I respect your work and and the fact that you, when when you made that declaration that um, consumer power is not real power, um, that really um perked the ears of, of a lot of people like me that's in the Black Empowerment Movement, um, because you know at best it, it may be leveraged, but it, it's 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 kind of um. And, and I also thought about Dr. Claude Anderson when you came out because, you know, with, with, with that declaration, because, you know, it's, it, it kind of goes like, you know, your solution was um, was radical politics. And of course, and and of course, and then people like Dr. Claude is um, business. And so this it, it's kind of a chicken and eggs argument as far as which one do you do first, the business? Do, do, do you use the business to, to create the politics or do you use the politics to create the business? And it's an interesting um, dynamic, and I, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there. Just which, whichever one you had to wherewithal to muster first is my thing. Um, and I do. No, but um, I, I got to interrupt you. That's factually incorrect. And Dr. Anderson and I totally disagree on this. And that, and, I, yeah. and I, it's unfortunate that I don't have time to get into it too much again yeah. right now. I agree with him. But though. That's, I agree with him though. Yeah, you, that's fine. Him. You you can agree yeah. with him, but but it's yeah. it's not chicken or the egg. That's factually incorrect. It is it is yeah. the 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 origin is the political power because. W- what what is often left out of all of this is that businesses don't just come out of nothing they come out of government contracts they come out of a government that's been established first on the genocidal and enslaved theft of land and military conquering the primitive right. accumulation of wealth as marx called it so that's that's what we keep we have been uh, permanently left out of that part of the process. We're coming yep. into the game forcibly late. So it's not a chicken or the egg thing. We have to be clear on that. You, you yep. can agree um, with Dr. Anderson if you want, but you have to then understand yep. that you're saying something polar in opposition to what I'm saying. Yep. And you're, and he's yeah, taking, Carnell? But, but hold on a second. Hold on a second. I, I, yeah, I know Yvette Carnell agrees with me on the point of buying power, not on anything else, and I'm certainly not, not on the issue politics, of, right. of of politics exactly. But 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 my point is, so I just want to be clear that there is no, there is no, we can get our business and money right and then catch up to the politics. That's not how it works. We have to. Our only ability to cap to capture politics is through mass political organization and social movement building with our numbers physically. We are never going to accumulate the wealth that's going to match the already accumulated wealth 
and uh, the capturing of the uh, uh, public policy apparatus and the investment apparatus and the military. We're not going to catch up to that at this point by getting our money right and circulating our dollars. So so we just need to be clear on that part. Sorry, I think. Please continue. Yeah, one last quick thing, last quick thing um, um, Elliot. Um, you, you mentioned about, you know, just in keeping with that um, context of, of doing a radical politics, um, as far as, you know, those who believe that that's the, you know, that's the um, first, um, first, I guess, assault. Um, there's a, you know, the term is being thrown around a lot. It's like social entrepreneur. And I just want to offer, um, and it's, it's something that I've coined in addition to that, is, um, is political entrepreneur. So when you're really trying to um, amass wealth, you know, for, the, for, to, to, for political power, you are basically a political entrepreneur. So I think it's going to be a combination of the radical politics that you talk, um, I mean, that, 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 that you put forth, in which it does have validity because, like I said, it's, um, and, and it, says, it says the chicken or the egg is not to say that, you know, it's not just as important. Um, because it is, it is just as important in politics. And I guess it all depends on where you live because every situation, you know, has its own, every, every, every locale is not the same. So there's different dynamics of different locales because Booker T. Washington, and, and I mean, they, they did it, you know, of course, they, they built politics with economics. And so, but anyway, but thank you for No, no, that's, fa- again, but that's factually incorrect. But again, that's factually incorrect. The wealth. I guess it all depends on who's back, though. But um, but I don't want to belabor this. But um, but yeah, but um, but, but that's just coming through. <laughs> but if we don't have, have a, look, you do realize. But see, this is a this is a major problem, and and at some point I'll have to come back any time. Yeah. But this is a major problem because if we don't have agreed upon facts, so then we can't have it. a we can't have a society. We can't have we don't we've lost we've lost civilization. We've lost the hope of civilization. We can't have different facts. There is a factual historical record. And you, the point, the question is, who is pointing to it and demonstrating an accurate reading of it? And I would argue, if you look at my work, uh, I've demonstrated in this issue that I've done that. And I await anyone to disagree with that, but and and uh, or to show where I've I've gotten that wrong, not just disagree with it. But listen, let's I, look. I love. I appreciate you all. Thank you very listen, much. This has been great. Before you go, give out all the uh, information, the taglines. I, I mix what I like. Anything you need to do, go ahead. The floor is yours. Just at I mix what I like for all your social media. I mix what I like dot org is where you can find everything that I'm involved with and connect everybody else uh, that I'm working with. So so uh, and and yeah, it's all there. I mix what I like dot org. And thank you all very much again. This has been <laughs> I love it. And, I love do- it. and listen, the door is always open to you. And, to, and, and in fact, this is this is what we need to do as a collective uh, work together. Our media needs to work together. Uh, I, I, that's true. It, it, I, I can't say anymore. I thank you for being with us. And we'll, we'll talk to you soon. We got to get you back on. The lies are, I'm, le- I'm leaving callers on the board here. So I, I know. It's, I, I, I ain't finished my interrogation. Wait a minute, y'all. Yeah, yeah, right. I know. There's a, there's a lot. There's a lot left. But uh, unfortunately, I got. I I'm running out of gas. I, know, I, got, I, I got an early day. But but I, I I'm happy to read those. We'll, we'll work something out, and Good. I'll and I'll be back as soon as as soon as you all want. Really, we'll talk yeah. soon. Sir. Talk to you. All right, thanks everybody. Peace. Peace. Thank you, Richard. Yes. Before we go, it was, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of callers left on the board here. It's an important yeah. conversation, and we 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 got to get him back on again. And it's yeah. been it's been a long gap in between. So we, you know, I know we've been doing other things, but we'll 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 get it uh, we'll get it together. Listen, before we go this evening, just want to uh, 
uh, let, let the listening audience know our guest next week in conversation, uh, associate professor of political science at Howard University, uh, uh, Dr. Namdi Michelle Carter, the book America While Black. Yes. I'm, trying, I'm trying to pull that whole title up. America While Black, African Americans, Immigration, and the Limits of citizenship should be an interesting discussion with our guests scheduled for next week. Uh, before we leave, uh, just letting you know the lineup on time for an awakening media Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Always interesting topics and dialogue on African Perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Later on in the week, on Thursday, from 8 to 9, that's Eastern Time, from 7 to 8 Central Time, Mississippi on the move. The Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi with Brother Patrick Lumumba and several others as hosts. Time for an Awakening is back on Fridays from 8 until. On Saturdays from 7 to 9, the Elders of Sankofa with Dr. Janine James as host. And on Sunday from 7 until, Time for an Awakening is back in conversation. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always, and we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon, Children playing after school. They seem to be so unaware. Oh, I know, I know the things that they'll soon have to take care of.
Thank you. 